0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's January 8th.
0: We'll start today by reflecting briefly on the terrible events at the U.S. Capitol this week. Like most Americans, we at RAND were horrified by what took place. Our president and CEO, Michael Rich, released a statement condemning the violence.
1: Much of the civil unrest in America over the past many months has been peaceful. But Wednesday's deadly siege on the Capitol was different, Rich said. Quote, the audacity of the rioters and the violence they perpetrated should have no place in the political process. Rich noted that there are complex issues at the heart of these shameful events, including the accelerating violation of norms, racism, and growing distrust in institutions.
0: So, what is Rand's role in addressing these issues? Rich put it this way, quote, I believe Rand's mission is essential to countering the forces we saw this week, revitalizing the health of our democracy, and bolstering our collective well-being and sense of safety in the world. Even as the path from research and analysis to sound policy can at times be winding, we are resolute in our efforts to develop solutions to society's most complex challenges, by starting with facts and rigorous analysis. In that spirit, and in the hopes of advancing our mission, we'll continue to bring you highlights from RAND Research and Analysis every week.
1: So, let's get right into it. Our lead item is an appropriate one, given this nerve-wracking week, as it deals with the distress that many Americans are experiencing these days. But this doesn't concern anxiety about political violence, polarization, or the future of our democracy. Rather, a new RAND study highlights how the pandemic is creating a large spike in significant psychological distress among Americans. Our researchers surveyed the same representative sample of Americans two times first in February 2019, and then again in May 2020. In each survey, participants were asked about their level of psychological distress. In the May 2020 survey, more than 10% of respondents said that they had experienced symptoms of significant psychological distress during April and May of 2020, as the coronavirus began to sweep across the U.S. This is the same amount that reported experiencing distress over an entire year in the survey we conducted before the pandemic. This highlights just how stressful the early weeks of the pandemic were for many Americans. Notably, increases in distress were more common among women, Hispanic people, and those under the age of 60. The increase among younger people might mean that psychological distress is driven more by economic stressors than by fears about the health effects of the virus. This is the first longitudinal study of psychological distress during the pandemic. Lead author Joshua Breslau explains that while elevated psychological distress has been observed during prior disasters, it has never before been seen as a quote, persistent and complex stressor affecting the entire US population. The findings from these surveys suggest that policymakers should consider targeting services to groups who are at high risk for elevated psychological distress during the pandemic, including those who are vulnerable to the economic consequences of social distancing.
0: RAND behavioral scientist Laura Bogart studies medical mistrust, especially among Black Americans. Much of her past research has centered on the HIV epidemic showing how centuries of oppression and unethical medical experimentation became a barrier to effective treatment for Black Americans with HIV. In a new Q&A on the RAND blog, Bogart discusses her previous research, as well as what she's working on now, understanding and addressing medical mistrust as it relates to COVID-19 vaccine uptake. The important thing to recognize, she says, is that medical mistrust among marginalized groups is rational. Quote, it's understandable that people who have been discriminated against would put their guard up. It's a survival mechanism, and any intervention really needs to acknowledge that as a first step. Bogart says that it's essential to understand what people's specific concerns are in order to effectively address mistrust. She also shares important lessons from her past research on HIV treatment, which could help address COVID-19 vaccine skepticism. For example, one takeaway is that you can't do anything without working directly with key stakeholders in a community, and any response needs to be tailored to the community that you're trying to
1: help. About 53 million family members in the U.S. provide care for their loved ones. These caregivers might be supporting a parent, a child with a disability, or a spouse with a chronic illness by helping them eat, bathe, dress, and take medications. And during the pandemic, these caregivers have become frontline workers. While family caregivers provide a significant portion of health and support services in America, they are often overlooked by healthcare systems. For instance, caregivers cannot easily share important clinical or social information with other healthcare providers or receive the necessary information to effectively support their loved ones. A new RAND paper highlights the hardships facing family caregivers during the pandemic. The authors argue that these challenges show why it's more important than ever to integrate caregivers into patients' healthcare teams. One way to do this may be to use technology to help bridge the gap between caregivers and the formal care team. For example, caregivers could get shared access to some aspects of digital patient portals, allowing them to send secure electronic messages to healthcare or social service providers, get educational information, or gain access to clinical notes.
0: Diabetes is one of the most pervasive, deadly, and expensive diseases in the U.S. More than 30 million Americans have it, and nearly a quarter of them need insulin to manage their symptoms and prevent life-threatening complications. With so many people using this drug, and its costs skyrocketing in recent years, the Department of Health and Human Services asked RAND to examine insulin prices more closely. Our researchers compared the costs of insulin in the U.S. to those in 33 other countries. They found that the average price for a unit of insulin in America, nearly $99, was more than 10 times higher than the average for all of the other countries combined. In fact, the closest any country came to paying the American average was Chile, where the average price is $21.48. And in many other countries, the cost is much, much lower in the $7 to $14 range. The hope is that the insights from this analysis will help lay the groundwork for solutions that could reduce the costs of insulin. But, of course, insulin isn't the only drug with a sky-high price that's burdening Americans. That's why researchers at RAND are now starting to examine how American prices for other prescription drugs compare with those in other countries.
1: America's economy continues to struggle amid the pandemic. Earlier today, the U.S. Labor Department reported a loss of 140,000 jobs in December. This represents the first month of net job loss since the pandemic hit last spring and threw tens of millions of Americans out of work. During this crisis, and during other periods of high unemployment, unemployment insurance is the primary U.S. policy tool for sustaining workers. But the system has long been neglected, says Rand's Catherine Edwards. And in every recession since 1973, Congress has had to prop up states' financing of the program, typically by extending the availability of benefits. But without any actual reform over this time period, unemployment insurance has continued to decline. So when COVID-19 hit last year, reforming the unemployment system was already five decades overdue. The situation was dire, and Congress had to do more than simply extend the availability of benefits one more time. Lawmakers passed the CARES Act last March, but also had to vote to extend and supplement benefits again last month. According to Edwards, the current crisis shows just how far out of step unemployment insurance is with today's economy.